And one of the reasons why I like to break those stereotypes is because when I was growing up, all you could really be in my neighborhood was a ball player, a rapper, a dope boy, or a crackhead if you went the wrong way. And, you know, I didn't see black photographers or black scientists, black astronauts, you know, or anything like that. What I saw was what was around me. So I realized if I was going to change that narrative, I had to be the type of person I wish I was when I grew up. I want to make decisions now that are going to make my younger self proud and my older self even prouder. And I think it's really important that we break those stereotypes because that's all they are, stereotypes. These are not concrete boundaries. These are not cages that hold us in unless we let them. This is stuff that we put on ourselves or that society puts on us and we allow them to own us versus us taking control of our own narratives. Welcome to the Archipelago Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Morton. Getting to connect with and allow space for photographers to share their stories is something special for me, and I think that as photographers, something we can all relate to. Ultimately, as artists, storytelling is integral to what we do, and often the images we create tell as much about ourselves as photographers as they do our subjects. I recently connected with Quintavius Oliver, or Q, a photographer who excels not just at capturing incredible and powerful images on film, but also at expressing his thoughts and ideas around photography and his experiences with clarity and honesty. Here's a little from his website bio. Quintavius Oliver is an Atlanta-based fine art and documentary photographer who uses his engaging portraits as a means of self-exploration and sensitive storytelling. He acquired his first film camera at the age of six from his grandmother and immediately began to document his ever-expanding world without a second thought. Completely self-taught and ready to take on the world with his camera while raising his daughter as a single father, Quintavius spent much of his 20s documenting community uprising against police brutality towards black Americans and exploring his own generational traumas as a young black man through his lens. Occasionally, he would get a break to travel to places like India or Cuba to explore and experience places that he was told he would never live long enough to see because of the stereotypes that surround young black men. Now, still with a camera in hand, Contavius has made it his mission to see and photograph people honestly and wholly as he creates a safe space for self-expression and vulnerability through his passion for photography. Let's dive into my interview with Q. Well, listen, uh, thanks so much for, thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm really excited to talk with you. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on here was because, uh, of course, I've, I've, I've been uh, diving into the to the Twitter world, the photography community over on Twitter, and and I've heard you speak uh, many times over over on Twitter Spaces, and uh, just just kind of found that you know you just kind of lay it out, you say it how it is, which which I really appreciate. You know, um, there's an honesty to to the way you speak, and and I think that translates uh, in the way your your work comes across as well too. And anyway, so that's, that's why, uh, Q, I wanted to get you on today and, and just have a chat. I want to talk about your work uh, and, and just kind of pick your brain a little bit about, about photography in general. Um, so th- thank you uh, for coming on. But um, if, uh, if we can kind of dive right into it, um, 
tell me a little bit about you know your your journey in photography. Where, where does that start? Because I I think you started at a very young age taking pictures. Is that right? Oh yeah, I started about six years old. Uh, my grandmother gave me a little Kodak 110 camera, uh, which back then you know it, it was the norm. Everybody had film. Everybody had yeah. little point and shoot cameras and the stuff that people are coveting right now. You know, I grew <laughs> yeah. up with that stuff. I remember laying on my grandmother's floor and uh, holding up slide film uh, yeah. up to the ceiling and, and looking at it through the light and just being at awe at all these photographs. But it never really dawned on me that this is a career path or something that you know people actually do professionally or uh, historically. It was just pictures were always around me. Yeah. And it just I just soaked up everything as I grew up. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've stuck with that. You've stuck with film photography throughout your career. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Um, I've tried digital photography. I've actually got a, a Sony uh, A something or another. I, I, yeah. I use it strictly for video. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, it is uh, little film cameras like this right here. Yeah, yeah. 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 What do you, what's, what do you got there? What's, what's that one? Uh, this is my Leica M7. Um, this is probably going to go to the grave with me. I, I love this <laughs> thing. I take it with me everywhere. It's been all over the world with me. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's proven true. I've, I've got a number of film cameras. Uh, very seldom do those film cameras fail me. Yeah. And I just think it's something organic. I don't have to worry about screens or buttons or yeah. switches or menus or anything like that. It's just me and the subject and I make a picture and I don't think about it until I develop the film later. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely an intimacy, uh, when you're working that way. And, and it's interesting. You, one of the things you mentioned just earlier was, was about, you know, laying down and, and looking at, looking through slide, uh, film and there, there's something magical, right? About film. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something, it's not even just about the film itself. Cause people think it's like, a, it's a hype thing or it's a hipster thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, for me, it really allows me to just be present with, yeah. whatever or whoever I'm photographing. Again, I'm not worried about anything else. Uh, not even just so, so much the exposure. A lot of people like to chimp and look at the back of their cameras. And I think even just that split second takes yeah. you out of the moment yeah. and you forget about the things going on around you. And I photograph in a lot of chaotic environments, protests, uh, different countries, things like that. Yeah. And I always want to be present. I want to keep my head on the swivel because situational awareness is everything, not just in terms of danger, but in terms of the relationship you have with who you're photographing. You want to make sure you're present and attentive with them. So yeah. I, I try to just leave everything else alone and just shoot film. Yeah. 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 There's, there's definitely, there's definitely, um, an importance to, to being in that mindset, you know, to being present. And, and I think that's something that, you know, whether it's film or, or digital photography, I think that's something photographers can all relate to, right? Like we, it's so important. And, and it, I think being a photographer puts you in that state of, situational awareness because you're always kind of searching right you're looking you're looking for not always subject matter sometimes you're just looking for the light right mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, I think one thing that i've always stuck with and it's really simple it's pics or it didn't happen because you can tell a story all day long but were you there mm -hmm. did you see it and did you make the picture yeah. um and that's the, like you said it could be down to just the light itself uh because lighting is everything i can make a picture of somebody uh, in harsh light or in really nice subdued or golden hour light. And those two photographs are going to translate something completely differently uh, from each other. And you have to be present in order to be able to articulate a message effectively. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Talk to me a little bit about some of your, some of the work you've created. Cause you, I mean, you've got a really interesting body of work in that you seem to span several genres of photography um, you know, you do, you're doing some street 
like an almost reportage documentary style shooting. Uh, you're doing intimate nude portraits. So you're, you know, you're shooting a diversity of work, but do you feel like there's a, is there a common thread that kind of ties what you're shooting together? I, I think a lot of it, I look at it kind of like being a chef. You know, you don't walk into a restaurant and expect the chef to only make burgers or only make steak. Yeah. Uh, you know, there might be a, a certain theme there, and my theme is photography. Yeah. Um, but I like to be multifaceted. And I grew up looking at, uh, I, I used to sit on my grandmother's floor, and she, she's pretty much the woman that raised me. Mm-hmm. She had this collection of encyclopedias. And I would spend hours just going through all these documents and, and articles falling in love with all things around the world because I grew up in the projects. So all I saw was what was in the projects. Mm -hmm. But when I was in these books, I was able to see the rest of the world. And then I discovered things like Indiana Jones and I wanted to be like him when I grew up. And then one day I was uh, hanging out with the wrong crowd, about 16, 17 years old. Uh, These kids were stealing stuff from the mall. So I was like, I'm going to steal something too. And I stole a National Geographic book, a little hardcover, a little little tiny book. I stuck it in my pocket and was like, yeah, I'm I'm cool too. Mm-hmm. And I uh, had no idea there was a DVD in the back. And I was sitting on my mom's couch smoking a joint one day, and I looked over at this book a few weeks later, popped open the DVD, and it was this documentary called The Photographers. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing Steve McCurry's work for the first time and being like, I need to go there. Yeah. So I picked up a couple of his books and was like, I want to go to India, and I want to travel the world, and I want to see all these things, and I want to bring it back to my neighborhood. I'll be the coolest guy ever because I've seen the world. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm dating this girl who wants to be a, a cover model of these car magazines. So my heart is over in India and in Africa mm-hmm. and in South America, but my present is right here in front of me. So while I'm photographing the models, I've always got this burning desire to go and document the world. And I always wanted to be a war photographer. I always wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, duck bullets and see these burning buildings and all this other stuff. I wanted to show the world what it was because I didn't believe in what CNN was showing me. You know, when they would show certain things, I'm like, I know there's families over here. I know there's kids playing in the streets. I know there's stuff going on that they're not telling us. I want to go see it. I want to go photograph it. But I I didn't have the means to. So I kind of learned to balance the two. And I never felt a need to come away from either one of them. You know, if something's happening, uh, you know, again, pics where it didn't happen. So I'll get these random phone calls at three o'clock in the morning from friends like, hey, man, are you on this side of town? This is what's happening. And I'll hop on my motorcycle and I'll go directly there. And then sometimes I'll get a phone call from someone they're like, hey, I'm feeling this today. And I, I think I really want to translate this through pictures. So I'll go over to their house and make portraits with them. Um, I don't think that you have to be any one thing yeah. as a photographer. Again, it's like being a chef. You, you got to be multifaceted and learn how to cook up different meals. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for a lot of people, it comes down to uh, uh, there's a passion for, for the craft that can span the genres. But there's also, I think, an important ingredient there is curiosity, right? Absolutely. I think the one thing that that holds true to most people is that we're curious about something. Mm-hmm. And typically, I get curious about a lot of dangerous things, a lot of tough questions. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember, you know, I, I photographed uh, Klan rallies before because wow. I'm like, what the hell is this? I need to go see this. And I'm a black dude where most, and, you know, the stereotype is black people don't don't do that. Black people don't don't go towards danger. We hear something go bump in the night and we're like, nah. Uh, I'm the type of person, if somebody says, oh, don't go to that side of town, it's dangerous, that's the first place I'm going because I need to know why. Uh, When I photograph my models, the first thing I say to them is, you're beautiful and I don't really care. I want to know who you are. If you're angry, make me scared of you. If you feel sexy, I want to be turned on. If you're sad, I want to be able to give you a hug. I want to know more about you. I don't. Otherwise, you're just a pretty mannequin. 
Um, and I don't like pretty mannequins. I want to know more about whatever, whoever I'm photographing. Typically, if I don't have a camera, which is very rare, I don't really have a reason to be in whatever space I am. You know, my camera is kind of my passport to the answers. Yeah. Um, so I take my camera with me because I want to explore the world through that. That's my way of getting to know people and know subjects. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, certainly looking at your work, you, you go there, you you find, I guess you you break through that that veil that people put up, you know, and and that's certainly that's certainly a skill, right? I mean, it's it's one thing. Uh, I remember talking to a curator years ago, and he said that you get two asks when you're on the street. You have the "May I make your picture?" and "Could you please stand over here?" And typically, uh, you know, people look at street photography as you have to be invisible and you have to be an observer and you can't interfere. And I've had photographers argue me down that what I do isn't street photography when I'm out here on the streets. And I said, no, I just happen to get a little bit closer than you. When I see somebody on the street and I find them interesting, now I need to know more about them. Yeah. Uh, especially like if I see somebody and I feel scared or intimidated, I have to ask myself, why am I afraid of this person? What's going on with them that, that makes me not want to photograph them or not want to interact with them? And then it's the first thing I hone in on. Like I'll see a guy and he'll have his gun sticking out of his pants. Hey, man, uh, what kind of gun you got? You know, I'm carrying an HK today, you know, and, and you know, being in the South, that's not uncommon. Yeah. So then they'll be like, wait, is this guy a cop? And I'm like, trust me, dude. and I'll show them my work and I have a little box of prints on me. Nice. And they're like, oh, OK, cool. And they'll let me photograph them or people with tattoos on their faces and things like that. You know, I, I love photographing and getting to know people. That's honestly, I wouldn't talk to people unless I had my camera. Your camera is your, your, your key, right? Your passport. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about stereotypes, right? Because you, you mentioned that earlier, you know, about stereotypes and, and, and you. And how, is, how do you feel that that is something that's maybe affected you as a person and, and as being, you know, as being a black man, uh, a photographer, and, and, and just things like traveling and, and going to going to Klan rallies and things like that? Like, how do you find that as a, has affected your experience as a photographer? I think it kind of pushes me to go a little bit further. Uh, I typically try to move as far away from whatever people think I should be or should be happening. Um, I remember being a kid and I used to, like I said, I grew up in the projects, but I would paint my nails black and I would listen to heavy metal. And I loved the idea of just being different uh, because I felt unseen already and I mm -hmm. kind of felt alone. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I don't need to be your type of cool. I'm going to be my type of cool. Now you're going to come into my bubble. And I remember right around the time Party Like a Rockstar came out. I think it was like, I don't remember what rap group it was, but it was a rap group. And uh, everybody kept looking at me crazy with the Hot Topic pants and the boots and the chains. And then as soon as that song came out, everybody wanted to know where I was getting my clothes. <laughs> and I kind of look at my photography the same way. Yeah. A lot of what I do, uh, especially people from my neighborhood, my side of town, they don't typically do those things. And then when they see somebody who looks like them do it, they're like, oh, there is more to the world. I remember watching... Uh, King Richard a couple of days ago with my daughter. Yeah. And she had no idea who Venus and Serena were. And mm -hmm. Then she watched this movie and she was like, oh man, I can do that. Like these two little girls who look like her are achieving these amazing things. And one of the reasons why I like to break those stereotypes is because when I was growing up, all you could really be in my neighborhood was a ball player, a rapper, a dope boy, or a crackhead if you went the wrong way. Yeah. And you know, I didn't see black photographers or black scientists, black astronauts, you know, or anything like that. What I saw was what was around me. So I realized if I was going to change that narrative, I had to be the type of person I wish I was when I grew up. I want to make decisions now that are going to make my younger self proud and my older self even prouder. Yeah. 
So I said I wanted to be Indiana Jones. Well, Indiana Jones doesn't look like me, so I'm going to be that new Indiana Jones. So when people look at my photographs, they're like, oh, snap, you did that? And I come back to the barber shops or do career days, and they see my photographs, and they're like, oh, man, you, you brave, you're doing this. Hey, man, pick up a camera. You can do the exact same thing. And I think it's really important that we break those stereotypes because that's all they are, stereotypes. These are not concrete boundaries. These are not cages that hold us in unless we let them. This is stuff that we put on ourselves or that society puts on us and we allow them to own us versus us taking control of our own narratives. Yeah. I think, I think we see that in your work. You, you definitely, you're breaking barriers, you know, whether it's like you said, just getting closer, you know, going up to those people and, and getting their stories and, and storytelling is, is, it comes through in your work without even, without even having to put any words on your images. They, they're definitely telling stories, but I want to touch quickly on something you talked about, uh, about breaking stereotypes and, and, you know, making that change. And cause you, you, you've got a project, I think you're, you're putting together about giving back to the community, right? Like you've, you're working on, uh, something you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm opening up a film lab called six film lab. It's named after my daughter. Her, her middle name is six. And uh, I started that project a few years ago after uh, there was a store here called The Camera Doctor. And I used to run the dark room there. I, I didn't apply for the job or anything like that. I just was into photography. And the old man behind the counter, Steve, uh, he guess, I guess he got tired of me sitting there at the counter every day. And he was like, you want a job? Like, come on, man, let's work here. <laughs> um, so I ended up working there and I ran the dark room and I taught photography classes for a few years. And then he closed up and it left a huge void here in our community. And now there are no film labs, there's no camera stores or anything like that here in Atlanta. And I want to give back to my community because I had an opportunity, uh, albeit a, an accidental one, but you know there are no accidents, uh, I don't think, in life, mm -hmm. uh, to break out of my neighborhood with my camera. And I know that there are so many other kids who are growing up just like I did, who have a story to tell, yeah. who have a narrative they want to they wanna see through. And I think it's important that I open up this film lab because I want to provide a gallery space, a classroom, a studio space. Uh, I want to provide financial literacy to these kids and teach them about NFTs and cryptocurrency. Uh, because there's a lot of these kids who don't know that there are opportunities beyond their neighborhood. Uh, even with the internet, even with Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all this information at people's fingertips, you have to understand that knowledge is for those who seek it. Yeah. So unless we put something in these kids' neighborhoods so that in their fundamental uh, years, their early years, they see this stuff, they're not likely to gravitate towards those things later on. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why you don't see kids going to college, uh, black kids going to college. There's a reason why you don't see more black people in financial uh, heights or CEO positions and things like that. And if we start that young, if they can walk down the street and go to this camera store and pick up a camera, or walk down the street and see photographs from around the world in their own neighborhoods. I think that that's a really good way to start young and teach these kids that there's a different way. Yeah, yeah, so true. Can we talk a little bit about some of your work that you've done? If, if uh, you know, if we go, someone was to go to your website right now, I think you've got a few projects up there, and and they're they're really captivating. Uh, the one that caught my attention most was the therapy project. I thought that was really powerful. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so therapy started uh, kind of as a, an accidental project. I tend not to go into projects with something in mind. Uh, one thing that I do is I'll go out here and I'll just photograph whatever I'm feeling like that day. And I'll put these pictures up on a wall and I start to kind of move them around week after week. You know, next week I might shoot two, three more rolls of film and I'll print those photographs out four by six format 
and I'll pin them up on the wall. And then the story starts to tell itself over the next few years. Um, and the way this story started was I was going through some pretty rough stuff in my life. Uh, decided reluctantly to go see a therapist because where I grew up, you either prayed about it or you quote unquote man up and you don't mm -hmm. talk about it to anybody. Therapy was for crazy people and, and white folks who had money. Um, and, I, and I was like, I don't believe in that. I'm not okay, so I probably should go see a therapist. Um, and I think more people should do that because my therapist uh, helped me get to a breakthrough. And she looks at me and she says, uh, hey, normally I have people write about this, but I want to have you photograph it. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. I photograph every single day. This will be easy. She says, uh, I want you to go out here and I want you to photograph happiness. And I was like, yeah, fine. Okay, cool. I did it. I took my camera. And I think that very day, as soon as I left, I just walked out into the streets and I kept doing what I do. And I realized over the next few months that I didn't know what happiness looked like. I found gang members and drug dealers and politicians and sex workers and all kinds of things. And I, I realized I was looking at anger and, and loss and tragedy and frustration uh, everywhere I went. And the reason I was looking at those things is because all of those things were inside of me. I realized that the camera looks both ways and that mm -hmm. unless I was able to articulate happiness within myself, there was no way I was ever going to find it outside of myself. There was no way I was ever going to be able to photograph that type of happiness. So once I started to let go of some of the things that I was holding on to, some of that anger, some of that resentment, some of those frustrations, I was, start, I was able to kind of, quote unquote, see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And that was when I started to peel back some of those layers and have some really difficult conversations with myself through those photographs. So all of those photographs uh, in that project are lessons that I learned while I was out on the street and how I learned how to become myself again without all the armor that I had on because of what I had been through. Yeah. That's an interesting, you, you raise a really good point there about the, how the camera points both ways. Do you, do you find that that thread or that idea translates through most of your work? Oh, absolutely. Um, when I photograph anybody, uh, typically what draws me to that person is because I see something in them that I'm either A, curious about or B, dealing with. Mm -hmm. So even when it comes down to the models that I work with, I typically don't shoot, again, pretty models who are just mannequins. Yeah. I like, you know, people who want to wear their heart on their sleeves. I went through a long period of my life where, and still am, uh, wildly damaged. I've uh, been through a whole lot. So when I see people, I see something in their eyes. There's a story there. Um, most people who have a story to tell, you can see it on their faces. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their body language. Um, they don't just stand upright and just, you know, like they, they don't look like mannequins. They don't look like Vogue magazine or Playboy or anything like that. There is something there. And we we tend to look at movies kind of the same way, horror movies, action movies, tragedies, things like that. It's because it's something sensationalized or spectacular, uh, not realizing that we're only just looking at the things that we're dealing with. We love the movies that we like. We like the music that we like because they're a reflection of who we are and what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true, so true. Um, you know, when you're working, what, what matters most to you when, when you're trying to capture an image? Um, it's, it's a number of things, but to one point, it's, it's really just the print. And it sounds, you know, really technical. It sounds kind of detached. Mm -hmm. But when I hold a print in my hand, I want to see myself. When I hang a gallery show and people walk into that room, I want them to see themselves in these photographs, uh, especially when I do more intimate work. I want people to walk into this gallery and recognize this hug or recognize those tears. I can identify with that kiss or that argument or that energy in that room. It's kind of like, a, for me, it's like hip hop. 
Um, and I've said this a few times, uh, photography for me is hip hop. My camera is my microphone and the film is that beat and the yeah. people around me are the lyrics to those songs. And when you listen to a good hip hop track, uh, say Biggie back in the day or Nas or Tribe, uh, there's a story there. Mm-hmm. And you're listening to these words. It's very audible. But then you start to smell the food they're talking about or you could taste the food or you can hear the streets or feel that energy. And I think that that's where a good story is, a good print is, um, where it transcends just the visual and it starts to tug on something emotional. Uh, it starts to tug on your auditory senses or your your olfactory senses. And it, and it goes way beyond just that surface. I'm looking at a picture. Yeah, uh, man, <laughs> I, I totally get that. When I look at your work, I, I feel it, you know, I, I, I there's there's a texture and there's there's an honesty and, a, and it's just beautiful. Um Work, working off of that idea, where, where do you find inspiration? And I, and I don't just mean in the photography world, but we can talk about that too. But what, what inspires you? Uh, recently, and I say recently, over the last uh, 10, 11 years, it's been my daughter. Um, there's uh, Richard Pryor did a radio show, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Blue and Exile, uh, mm-hmm. but they're uh, a hip-hop duo out of uh, California, I believe. And they have a song where the end of that track is Richard Pryor saying, and I'm going to paraphrase. It says, the Wolfman, Dracula, Frankenstein, they don't scare me. Uh, Richard Nixon, the CIA, and the FBI, they don't scare me. What scares me is that one day my child is going to look at me and say, Daddy, where were you when all this was going down? And everything that I do right now, I have to understand that my daughter is going to look at it, And she sees it already. Mm-hmm. You know, she sees my print. She comes to my gallery shows. And I want her to be proud of the work that I do. But not only just proud of the work, but I want her to see the history in it. Uh, my mother, she went to college back uh, in the 60s, and uh, her aunt is currently 101 years old. And she was a W.B. Du Bois secretary. So oh, I look wow. at all these photographs from back then. You know, I have books of the Black Panthers, and I see these photographs, and that was their everyday life back then. That was what they were dealing with. I don't think they knew the historical implications or the impact that it would have, you know, decades later. And I'm looking at the work that I do right now. Somebody's going to see that work later on, you know, decades from now. And understand something about how we live life today. Um, I think it's really important to understand that, especially with printing and now with NFTs, this work that we're doing is going to live on forever. Yeah. So we have to do it on purpose. And that inspiration not only comes from past experiences, but it comes from what I want for the future. Uh, when it comes down to photography, I look at photographers like Jamel Shabazz or uh, Richard Avedon, Helmut Newton, Andy Leibovitz, and uh, Mary Ellen Mark, um, you know, people who were dealing with a lot and it translated through their photographs. You know, nobody makes a good story without having a good story of their own. True. And I, I, I look at those stories, you know, even down to books. I don't know if you're familiar with Gaspar Noe. Mm. Um, I remember his film called Love. Uh, do not watch this movie around kids or anybody who might be sensitive because it is a very uh, heavy film and uh, there's very unapologetic, gratuitous sex in the movie. But what I love about Gaspar Noe is he translates a lot through his color and his mood. Mm-hmm. Um, when there's an argument, that screen almost glows red. Yeah. Or when there's something kind of somber going on, it's almost like a purple or kind of maybe it might even go into beige. But he's very uh, purposeful with his colors. Hmm. I think we can take a lot of inspiration from uh, people like himself or even, like I said, hip hop. You know, I love Nas. Uh, Nas is probably my favorite rapper. Or Biggie. Uh, Project Pat is probably one of the best storytellers in hip hop. Um, Because I don't know how this man didn't go to prison for some of his records because, like, he told you all the details of what he was doing. But he did it in such an eloquent manner 
that it transcends all your auditory senses and you become a part of that story. So I, I grab inspiration from a little bit of everywhere. And I just try to articulate stories from the most honest and genuine place that I can. Yeah. Yeah. So good, man. Who, who's a photographer that, that, that you admire and could be living, could be somebody, you know, from the, that's not alive anymore. Who do you look up to in the photography world? Uh, for the most part, I look up to a lot of different war photographers. Um, you know, I love the idea that they they put themselves in those situations and tried very hard to honestly translate what was going on. Um, but more so than that, I, I look at street photographers kind of like war photographers. And again, Jamel Shabazz is probably one of my favorite photographers, mm -hmm. uh, just in his honesty and the way he goes out and he sees people. Yeah. Um, I look at Gordon Parks the same way, you know, because he photographed a lot of heavy subjects and a lot of people like to harp on his you know civil rights movement photographs but they don't look at the stuff he did for vogue and these fashion magazines mm -hmm. um and once i discovered him i remember looking at uh, helmet newton's work and i love the way that he worked with women um and and not even just with women but like the way he worked with his wife mm -hmm. um you know I, I look at the way Marilyn mark goes out and as a small woman you know she went out into the streets and photographed some pretty intense situations and was fearless with it. I love listening to her interviews and watching the documentaries on her and seeing the way she just moves through the streets so effortlessly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are just a few photographers that I look up to and I collect their books. Um, if you haven't seen it already, there's a documentary called Everybody Street. And Everybody Street is probably one of my favorite films. I've watched it at least two dozen times. Every yeah. time I watch it, I've learned something new. But I translate what I learn a lot from those documentaries into how I work myself. Watching other photographers work, uh, and, and, and I say that like it's almost like being in person, seeing these people move through the streets or how they talk with their subject or how they engage with their surroundings is really enlightening. And it has affected the way that I shoot tremendously. Yeah, man. I mean, I think uh, you talk about photo books and, and I, I can't remember who said it. There's a quote I heard recently and it just really stuck with me. And it wasn't particular to photography. It was just more in general. And it was, it was just along the lines of, you know, I can't remember all the books I've read, but they've all, you know, shaped who I am in some way, you know, and I think that's so true. And, and, and I hear that in, in what you're saying as well. Um, touch a little bit about uh, this kind of new frontier we're in here with the NFTs. I mean, we talk about, you know, I know you're talking about the importance of prints and, and I'm 100% with you on that. But, uh, you know, there, there, there's something happening now in the art world and, and, and it's sort of drawing in the photography world as well. Uh, but that's that's the world of uh, of NFT art, and uh, and what what are your thoughts on that, and and where do you see that going, and your place in I'm, it, I guess. Well, I know a lot of people, especially you know old old world photographers like myself. You know, I spend hours in the dark room, and I love prints. I love going to galleries and spending time face to face with some of these photographs. And you know, I kind of look at it the same way where there was the digital photography advent, where people were like, "Oh, this is going to kill photography. Everyone's going to have access to it." And then you had Instagram after that. And, People thought that was going to kill photography. But every time you have these things that people think are going to kill photography, it brings about a new revolution, a new way to look at it. You know, so going back to, you know, digital photography from the film world, it gave more people access to photography and it allowed more people to translate how they were feeling and brought a whole new wave and generation of photographers into it. You had Instagram and then you had more people looking at photographs. Now you've got NFTs where people are adding value to all of that. And I think it's really important to add value to your work. It's not just a double click or a like on Flickr or something like that. Um, I also really like the idea that people are in these Twitter spaces, you know, the same way you and I connected, mm -hmm. and they're listening to each other's stories. It's really yeah. easy to kind of fall victim to just the double tap syndrome where you're on Instagram and you 
like a picture and then you forget about it. Yeah. And you don't spend any time with that photographer. But yeah. in these Twitter spaces provided by NFTs and, and the surrounding NFTs, you get to know who the artist is. And now you gain a genuine connection and appreciation for the person behind the camera. And I think that's one thing that NFTs is giving people not just the monetary value, but the emotional value that comes with their work. I myself have taken the time to look back at my work and hold some of these prints in my hand and ask myself, why is this important? Why do I want to mint this to the blockchain? Mm -hmm. Why am I charging somebody two ETH or three ETH or 10 ETH for a photograph uh, when you know they could right-click it or they could double-tap it on Instagram? And for me, it's the idea that I can now tell this story articulately and effectively. Um, I think a lot of people are able to now look at NFTs as a way to really leave their mark on the world because this is going to be there forever. Yeah. So whatever story I tell, I have to do it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. It's it's really the the idea for me, which uh, I mean, of course, the community aspect is has just been absolutely incredible. Uh, you mentioned on on Twitter and Twitter Spaces, and and just being able to connect with other artists. Uh, that's that's been the most exciting part of this this whole NFT. Uh, world that seems to you know be evolving as we speak um, but uh, yeah the idea of of you know now being able to create something and put it out in the world and it's and it's it's going to live forever uh, I think that's that's really a powerful thing for sure yeah. absolutely I, I think that I mean we we have a lot of people ask me about nfts and they're like well why is there value behind this and I, I explain to them how the blockchain works and how it's almost like having a serial number or a certificate of authenticity behind each photograph you make. Every time I sell a picture in a gallery, there is a certificate of authenticity. I serialize it and I make sure they know that this is one of three or one of five. Mm -hmm. Well, in the NFT world, I'm only doing one of ones. I'm not yeah. doing additions. So once somebody gets that one, that's the only one. But it's kind of like having that serial number on the back of a dollar bill. There is plenty of dollar bills in the world, but there's only one with that serial number on it. And that one is supposedly backed by gold. Well, in the NFT world, whatever blockchain you mint your work to, that's what's backing your print. So that serial number is now backed by Ethereum or Tezos or what have you. And it has value with respect to where that cryptocurrency is in the world. Yeah. And I think that that's really important for people to understand that there is real world value to the art that you're minting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Q, if if you could uh, wrap up with one final thought for us, think of yourself, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, maybe when you're 101 yourself, you know, what, what, what do you want to look back on, on your body work? What do you, what do you want it to, to say? I really want this work that I'm doing just to, to be honest. You know, I, I, I love that I've gone back through my work through hard drives and books and stacks of negatives. And I have seen myself grow from this kind of bright eyed kid who had the world in front of him to kind of this descent into madness and turmoil and then back up to the father and husband that I am today. I, I love being able to look back at this journey. And I want, you know, years from now for myself to be able to look at this journey and say, man, I've, I've come a long way. Um, I've seen it. I've done it. I've articulated it. And now I've put it out in the world for other people to, to see and experience. Um, I want other people to be able to look at my work and be able to carry themselves through something. You know, like if I put out a picture that's hard for somebody to look at, I want them to question it and say, why is this hard to look at? Because maybe you're dealing with something and you just need that kind of nudge on your shoulder to say you can make it through. You know, I made it through. So can you. You know, it's it's easy to get caught up in the bullshit, but, you know, you're not alone. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
Q, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Hey, Sean, I appreciate you for having me. Yeah, cheers. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Quintavious Oliver. Please check out Q's website, qoliverphoto.com, where you can find some of his work and links to follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and more. We'll drop those links in the show notes for you too. Be sure to visit us over at archipelagopresets.com and use the code PODCAST20 to save 20% on your next purchase. Archipelago develops innovative presets and profiles that push the boundaries of creativity, offering unlimited flexibility and customization. Crafted by our team of photographers, these editing tools are designed to align with and amplify your voice so you can take your photography to the next level. We've also just launched a new forum space where photographers can share, grow, and inspire one another. The Archipelago Community Forum goes beyond the algorithms, a place where we can have real and authentic engagement. I hope to see you there. Thanks again. Until next time. Thank you.